0: and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, July 27th, 2012. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: I'm Kelly Shaver.
0: And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. On this week's show, many-to-many self-joins with Active Record, sticky finger swipe in the People.com mobile site, and a philosophy of comments in self-documenting code. And then we go totally off the reservation talking about broadcasting human senses cars for the blind, and a truly horrifying robot dog. So get ready to expand your mind. The Niche Podcast is next. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) How's it going there today?
1: Uh, I'm ready to strangle the cat, but otherwise. Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is he done now?
1: Well, I I fell asleep at like five o'clock last night on the futon here in the office. And, you know, I figured, whatever, I'll get to sleep in a little bit, since we're not recording the podcast until eleven. Mm-hmm. Eight thirty in the morning, sitting outside the door and he starts meowing. I thought, Well, okay, I'll ignore him and maybe he'll stop in a few minutes. And and then just a couple of minutes you know, a couple of minutes later I just hear this this thud and crash and he just like, continually like for 20 minutes just throws himself against the door as hard as he can <laughs> and so i i finally let him in and it was basically it was so he could come sit by my head and and um clean himself
0: oh that's uh, soothing
1: yeah <laughs> yeah it was it was so not what i wanted to wake up to
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're kidding Well, as usual, I had a late night also last night and uh, woke up to... Wednesday is the day when, um, depending on the season, the lawn crews come to the neighborhood. Mm. So this morning was... uh, This morning was... I didn't get up to see what it was, but it sounded like a... uh, It sounded like one of those hedge trimmer things, (laughs) but... I don't know if they put some kind of amplifier on it, but it was like a, <laughs> it was like a, a dinosaur size, like a pterodactyl size mosquito. In my yeah, room. it was a
1: really big hedge trimmer. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it sounded at least forty feet long.
1: <laughs> yeah, just just wait till you see the leaf blower this fall.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's what it is in the fall, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah, I can I can hear hear my neighbors outside mowing right now.
0: So. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this week has been—I've uh, I've got some fun stuff to report, and I know you've got uh, interesting uh, follow-up about the uh, active record stuff we were sort of touching yeah. on last week.
1: Yeah, it's all my my last week has has been all about relationships.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Relationships at, at are hard. <laughs> yeah, on two or three levels, in <laughs> so, fact. Yeah. Got a, a system that's mapping relationships, plus it's actually got its own relationships. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. You want to kick off with uh, kick off with Active Record?
1: <coughs> um, sure. Yeah. Um, and I ended up writing a blog post about it because I figured some of the stuff is easier to explain, you know, when I can write it out, mm-hmm. and so we can link to that in the show notes. But then when I got done, it it feels like one of those things, like the way I implemented it. It's it's either a clever implementation or I'm an idiot and I'm having a hard time deciding which of the two it is.
0: <laughs> yes, the line between clever and stupid is that yeah. a uh, spinal tap. Anyway.
1: Yeah, but basically I was we were needing to create kinda of, kind of some self referencing, many to many relationships. Mm. Where for instance you could have you could have a person that could have friends but I, you know they were they were friends with other people it wasn't like there was a um, you know a friend record necessarily right that you i mean that you were storing additional data and basically you just needed to create a join between the person with other people right and so yeah i found i found a few a few different ways of doing it and I, I'm I'm not really sure kind of what the what the best practice or standard way of doing it in Active Record is, but you know I, I played around with it for a while and um, came up with what in the end turned out to be just a, a fairly small amount of code to create those you know those self-referencing sort of relationships, and basically I just just what I did was I created a join table and gave it a a couple of different IDs to use, um, you know, one for the the person creating the relationship and and another for the, you know, a couple of foreign key IDs mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: for the person creating the relationship and the uh, another key for the person that the relationship was with and then uh, it's just a matter of going into active record and, and renaming sort of the reference, how you reference those in active record. Um, you're yeah telling telling it specifically which foreign keys to look for because normally normally it bases them all off of the model names and what have you
0: right, yeah, so I read the blog post and and since I'm not familiar with active record because I'm a philistine, um, I didn't really get it so like from a at a database level, which is about where my expertise stops the it's really just two tables you have a person table and a friendship table and and it's right. kind of it's fairly straightforward
1: right and some some foreign keys there where they just kind of reference each other
0: right so so it seems like the tricky part is is just is is dealing with active records um expectations of uh just naming conventions right
1: yeah basically that was that was really the, the biggest hurdle. And and then I did create a couple of custom methods just to do some some different additional types of lookups on those relationships that might be uh handy to have that that kind of weren't weren't um you know included within the default sorts of of many to many relationships you get
0: mm-hmm. when doing that. So yeah, so I'm actually looking at the blog post now, and the first thing, like, I went off the rails right at the beginning where it says, you know, you wrote, before we create the models, let's start with our database migrations, and you, and, it, you know, you created a class called create people, and you're inheriting from active record migration, right? Yeah. Why is it called create people?
1: Um, just convenience, or you can, you can name it whatever you want.
0: But what what does it represent?
1: Um, oh well, it is that's the that's the migration that creates the people table.
0: Okay, so it is it is just a naming thing that's hanging me because yeah. migration to me you know sounds like a thing that exists moving to a new place. Yeah, but that's not what it is.
1: No, it's the um, it's the basically generates the SQL. The migrations are basically processed by Active Record and converted into SQL to either create or modify or drop or you know, perform some action, mm-hmm. action or or a series of actions on the database. Okay,
0: that makes sense when you put it like that. But I, that word migration, I just like I immediately got hung up on because I was like, well, it seems like she's creating the table, not migrating yeah. it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, it's not necessarily always the migrations aren't necessarily always going to be about migrating data. You certainly can, and I'm I'm sure that's where the name comes from. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, it's just uh, to, an, an easy, easy standardized, convenient way to generate those sort of SQL queries to act on the database in some way.
0: Yeah, I mean, the and, syntax is, is brilliant. I mean, it's yeah. like super, super concise. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah and in, in this case, we're creating the tables and adding indexes.
0: Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so in, that, in that create table class, create people class, rather, um, you've got you define two functions, up and down. Yeah. And up makes sense, uh, more or less. But what's down doing there? Is that kind um, of like drop if it exists or something?
1: Yeah, down. Actually, when you when you perform a database migration uh, with Active Record, you have the option of of rolling back to previous migrations.
0: Oh, okay. So
1: that's what the that's what the
0: down does. So it's kind of like an uninstall for software. Yeah. 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 So if you were going to reverse this, it would drop the table. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you know,
1: you completely don't, you, you totally don't need to have a a down state, but you know, it's a good idea too, if you need to roll back changes.
0: Sure. Okay. That makes, that makes total sense. And then the, the uh, last thing that didn't make sense to me exactly was the syntax for the, again, I'm not like a Ruby guy, so this might just be a basic Ruby question. Mm -hmm. Um, but the third line of that says create underscore table, and then you've got open paren, people, close paren, do, and then T between pipes. Yeah. Um, that almost looks like a looping syntax, but it's not, is it? It's, it's, you're saying create table and then add a reference to it in a variable called T?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a block. I see. And,
1: and the t, it's, a, it's a block, and then the T references the table that you're creating. And so then I'm adding those uh, those properties to the table.
0: Cool. All right. Well, I mean, that's probably totally, probably totally embarrassed myself to the Ruby snobs in the crowd, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, I mean, the syntax is awesome. You know, I guess the only thing I would say is once you understand it, cause it's not, it's a little bit, it's almost so concise that, um, that it's
1: not immediately clear.
0: Yeah. It's not clear what's going on yeah. to somebody who's used to like a C based programming language.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And actually uh, migrations alone to me are reason enough to use active record over data mapper.
0: Yeah.
1: And I know there's I know there are some data mapper plugins for migrations, but I don't think they handle it quite as quite as concise, concisely or as elegantly as, as active record does.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I mean so the flip side of that is is that if you are using active record then you are sort of bound into its convention its naming conventions. Yeah. Uh, and if you try and work against that it's uh, it's difficult. It's. I mean, that's kind of what we ran into here, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it it wasn't so much, I guess, difficult as it was just uncommon, or or new to me. Because I mean, I find, I find if you generally follow the way Active Record works, in a lot of cases, you don't really need to break that mold because it you know, it does a pretty good job. But then when you get into things like maybe where you're a table that's referencing itself, and you know that kind of stuff. Then, yeah, you're you're gonna need gonna need to make some changes there.
0: Mm. That's really surprising to me because that's a really common, uh, like coming from a relational database background, mm-hmm. it's a really common thing to do, especially with you know any kind of any kind of organizational hierarchy. Or I mean, a lot of times when you get people into a system, you need to set up arbitrary groups of people, and and that's you know that that are related to each other where, you know, either one person kind of like is the owner of the group or, or whatever. And I don't know, it just seems like, uh, it seems like maybe, maybe like you, I think you started off by saying that, you know, maybe this is, maybe we're not doing it right. Maybe there's an easier way to do it, but.
1: Well, in the, you know, in the, in the sort of situations you're talking about there, it's, it's easier because you have a, a person and then you have but that maybe owns a group and then you have other people that belong to that group. And so again, you don't really run into this, this issue because you're, you're referencing members of a group. But in this particular instance, what we're doing is we have a person that can have collections of people and not collections of people through a group.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause there's no, there's no parent record really. Yeah. Right yeah i mean I, when I was back doing database programming I found that I was doing creating these kinds of relationships all the time in SQL and it was really no big deal in SqL but obviously it's a this is uh it's a new world now we don't program yeah well like SQL anymore
1: <laughs> well speaking of speaking of doing doing it in SqL versus forcing the relationship in active record, if you see further on down in the model, I just got to the point where I was like you know Okay, the easiest thing to do here is just write the SQL query and, and, and run the query. <laughs> right. You know, rather than trying to force an active record method to, to sort of fit that mold.
0: Right. Which is the which is nice if you do if you do know how to do it with SQL, you do have that option. So
1: Yeah. Yeah, you can you can totally totally just execute raw, you know, SQL via Active Record and still get active record objects as a result. Mm-hmm which is, is 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 something that data mapper doesn't seem doesn't seem to do either and it could just be that I was doing it wrong, but it seemed like whenever you ran straight up SQL through data data mapper, then you weren't you were just getting, you know, an an array of results or an array of results back. You weren't getting, you know, that sort of sort of object relationships that that Active Record or Datamapper manages was kind of lost in the results there. Mm. So so um Active Record seems to be better suited in that regard.
0: Yeah. It looks really good and it looks like and I'm looking at, again at the blog post where the you've got the friendship where statement and it's uh it, it looks like a prepared statement where you're you're basically using named placeholders yeah. to send in uh values and presumably those are escaped, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's super convenient. I absolutely love the syntax. It takes me a little, it would take me a little while to get used to it if I had to write this myself, but it's very concise and it's expressive once you know what all the different characters mean.
1: Yeah, I was happy with how it turned out. And one of the things that i that I did and wanted to do is I saw a couple of articles on self-referencing relationships sort of there where... We're creating a re- creating a relationship would result in creating um two join records kind of kind of going both ways, yeah. and so what I wanted to do with this one was eliminate that, mm-hmm. and that kind of that's kind of kind of comes in in the the custom methods that I defined there where we're searching
0: you
1: know on searching for matches on either ID
0: yeah, that's the or yeah right and that's uh that is that style the two record relationship style is. Uh, a common option but it's it does add a lot of record overhead obviously you've got double the records potentially but um the that is the way you have to do it if the relationships are potentially one way right like a twitter follow where i'm following you and maybe you're following me maybe you're not
1: yeah Um, but in in this case in this case and i think in the other project we're working on too um you know it's going to be you know the relationship. Once the relationship is created, it's going to work both ways, yeah. regardless regardless of who creates
0: it. Yeah, Yeah, that is part of the is part of the, the app definition. It's more of a Facebook friend, where you know two people accept. You know, you you get an invite, you accept it, and now you are friends in both directions. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, what else do we have going on? Um, Oh, Mm -hmm. here's some news. I think for the past three or four weeks, maybe a month, I've been sort of uh, teasing about a front-end JavaScript, mobile JavaScript project that I've been working on that I couldn't talk about publicly yet. Yeah. And uh, got the go-ahead yesterday. So the previous episodes, I've been talking about this uh, photo gallery that essentially has, you know, between, say, 15 to 30 images with captions and titles and and so and sharing features etc that the user experiences that you know a user would navigate to a particular URL they would see the photo that they navigated to with the metadata and other information about it and they'd be able to swipe left or right on touchscreen devices to navigate to adjacent pages and images and uh, that there were a lot of challenges because of the um, the way that the infrastructure is set up for the customer. So the, the customer is People magazine and uh, People.com mobile site soft launched yesterday and we're gonna be releasing a, uh, a quick upgrade in the next couple of days or so. It's very exciting that it's finally going live and it's a project that there's a large team of people working on it. I just did the the JavaScript code and the CSS and some of the HTML template for the mobile gallery yeah. There's also this quiz piece that I don't think they launched yet, um, but uh, Ethan Marcotte did the responsive web design for it, and uh, Josh Clark, aka Global Moxie on Twitter, is uh, sort of the project coordinator uh, so real real fun to, and a bunch of ton of people on the on the people side <laughs> speaking of <laughs> this is the big this is a people episode it is <laughs> um, for the people yes, for the people so big team on the people side, a lot of people involved. Certainly, uh, it's, it's a fun project to work on because it has so many constraints. Yeah. So, like, the, the idea of doing a swipeable image gallery is really not that hard uh, these days. Uh, support, you know, right now we've got support on uh, iOS, uh, Android, and uh, Kindle Fire, and it's looking good. Fails over nicely to non-touchscreen devices uh, or, or non-gesture devices, it's pretty sweet. But some of the challenges are they they get – I don't think I'm exaggerating. When they told me the actual number of how much traffic they get per mm-hmm. month, it sounded like they said, uh, you know, 30 bazillion. Like, the number was so high that it doesn't even matter. They get, like, an insane amount of traffic. And it's very – it's a lot of images. So Yeah. yeah so they can't – their infrastructure – uh, it, it unsurprisingly is heavily distributed over CDN
1: yeah, I was just going to say it 's probably probably highly distributed
0: right, so they need to make things as static as possible because they couldn't be doing database requests and respond to you know in, in a cost effective way or a time effective way and deliver right. a good experience so you have to do a lot of so you're basically given um, in my case, I was basically given some static HTML that was the um, sort of worst case scenario html for the the weakest mobile devices let's say Mm -hmm. and then i had to progressively enhance that uh in a variety at a variety of stages for different devices and if like if there came a point where um i needed to change something about the html it was basically i basically couldn't do it so yeah so and the html you know it's the html that that we designed, but as you're trying to progressively enhance it later, it's like, oh man, it would have been cooler if the HTML was like this instead of like that. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's like It'd be nice late. to be able to do those little minor revisions, right? So instead of that, you end up like parsing things out of the HTML with JavaScript and then rewriting the page. So then, when then when you add on um, includes for commenting, like discuss includes mm-hmm. and Facebook includes and uh, links to sharing via email and SMS and yada, 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 uh, plus analytics tracking code. And it just seems to go on and on. You've got to, oh, and let's not forget ads. Yeah. Um, you end up with this really, really snarly um, performance issue where you've got you've got some scripts that might be blocking page load or uh, it's just, it's bizarre. It was totally amazing how complicated it was to uh to get it working, which I think I think we have it super, super solid as of this morning. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. So Yeah,
1: I'm 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 kinda jealous that I didn't get in on that one. I know you were you were starting it just as I was heading up to Boston for vacation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How long ago was that?
1: Uh that was that would have been April twenty sixth.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean I literally rewrote the thing from scratch. Three or four times to <laughs> take different approaches uh, to solve the performance concerns, but we, I think we finally have it nailed uh, using a combination of of image preloading and DOM manipulation. Uh, you know, so like repurposing the template that the user originally came in on. So like, so the gallery, let's say the gallery has twenty pages, um, and on any one of these pages, a user can like share a link to yeah. one of their friends. So when that person receives that link, you don't want to kick them to the first slide in the series. You want them to go directly to that page. So the first page has to load statically, or you know, this is basically deep linking. So you, you head in there, and uh, bang, you land on the page. And from there, some if, if your device is capable enough, and we use Modernizer, uh, or at least pieces of Modernizer to detect what your features are, the capabilities of the device you're on. Um, you, we then layer in JavaScript to do things like um, preload the images on either side of the page that you're on, uh, preload data from the pages up, up, you know on either side, and uh, potentially. And it, it, there's all sorts of like weird idiosyncrasies where you get to the last page, and the last page of the gallery is like links to other galleries, so it has a different HTML template. Yeah. So you have to kind of like you have to like sort of do some monkey business to go to and from that last page because the HTML template's different, so you can't just, like, replace the data in the current page. Right,
1: right. You can't just drop it in. You have to, have to manipulate. Yeah. just some, some more DOM manipulation there and what have you.
0: Yeah, so you either need to retrieve it uh, from from that differing page, from that last page, and store it somewhere in the DOM of the regular pages or vice versa. Store the templates for reuse.
1: Oh, yeah, I guess with the... um. With the sort of swipe interactions that you need to have there and you know the the needing to preload you know preload data to sort of to make that that swipe experience you know more smooth and, and to give the, you know, the the look of swiping left and right uh, then yeah you're gonna I guess you do need to pull that into into the DOM. Mm,
0: in advance right so that, yeah. that actually brings up a really interesting distinction that that I sort of knew internally but as we were discussing this with the client uh it became apparent that it was it was important to make a distinction between three things about what what we are referring to as swiping from page to page so in in their mind swiping from page to page was you know the the a combination of the finger gesture and the response of the user interface and there are actually three levels going on there so the first one is reading the swipe gesture at all yeah so yeah so if you're on a device that supports touch move you know touch events basically you could you can uh capture a swipe motion and that's there are plenty of libraries that allow you to do that it's not the hardest thing in the world to write yourself it takes about 50 lines of code if you're uh you know it's not that hard but all you're really doing is you're capturing a swipe gesture. You're not necessarily animating the page in a left-right sliding motion. You just said, hey, a swipe happened.
1: Right. Uh, a swipe doesn't automatically correlate to a to a motion.
0: It, yeah, to an animation. And in yeah. the client's mind, it did. But in my mind, it didn't. So there was a disconnect there. Yeah. So they would say things like, oh, swipe's not working. And when, in, a, in fact, swipe was working, um, but the 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 visual navigation from page to page was just replaced the page. So it was like a hard... So the first iteration of this was you would swipe and it would just navigate to the next page, normal browser navigation, so no Ajax. No Ajax, no DOM manipulation, but that is a swipe interaction. Right. And in fact, that interaction is much, as far as I'm concerned, I think most people would agree, that is much better than tapping the next previous buttons on either side of the uh, of the screen because you don't really have to look. You don't have to be careful about where your finger lands.
1: Right, you don't have to think about it.
0: Yep, yeah. You're not going to accidentally, you know, toggle the Chrome, which is a, a feature of it. You're not going to toggle the caption, which is another feature. You just swipe, and you know you're going to go to the next page. Browser bar comes down. It reloads, you know, the regular thing. So then I added in AJAX, so you would swipe, and then it would just, it would, the, the data from the next page would be retrieved and the current page would just be updated to, uh, to look like the incoming page. And, you know, I yeah. would,
1: I would. So the, so there's no browser Chrome. There's no, I guess probably at that point, which obviously comes up as an issue, there's probably no, no visible indication of, of the swipe until the new data loads.
0: Exactly. So I call I basically called this non-sticky finger swipe. <laughs> So the the non-sticky finger swipe um, is is a lot better from a user experience standpoint than the full page reload swipe because obviously you're not pulling all this duplicate HTML over the wire or over the air, and uh, you're not you know there's all sorts of um, script includes in the main page that don't need to be re-parsed you know when the next page comes in so you're you're removing a ton of overhead is a huge huge difference.
1: Yeah, and and it's not as big a disruption to the user experience because you don't see that flash of the chrome coming down and then disappearing again. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so you can actually you could actually swipe through the gallery um, incredibly quickly with this method, but it would just like, you know, snap 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 snap. There was no there was no left right animation at all. Right. So the 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 only issue with it was the images. So we the data I'd be pulling from the the incoming page let's say, would include a source URL for an image. And that, um, you know, I would write that into the the DOM, the existing DOM, but the image would still have to download. Right. So the next thing I added was preloading for adjacent, you know, for images and adjacent pages, uh, which, you know, just simply when a a page loaded, it would look at the next and previous pages, which we had stored in a, a JSON array for the entire gallery. And say okay, you know, start preloading these images by you know just creating uh, an image tag and setting the source, uh, you know, create element in the DOM, but we didn't actually add it to the DOM, right? But that will add it to the cache. So you could you could literally swipe as fast as you wanted, with your as fast as humanly possible, and browse through like a, a twenty page image gallery uh, with very few delays.
1: Yeah, because it would it would create those those objects cached objects as you swiped and. And so, I mean, it would, you know, if you, if you swiped on one page and, and then uh, swiped and went to the next one before, before the image fully loaded, it didn't matter because it was still in the you, – you, you had still created the object and the image was still being
0: downloaded. Yeah, so you could so see it coming. you could go
1: back to it and the image would be there.
0: Right. So even if it wasn't completely downloaded, you could see it coming. And you could yeah. also start reading the text that's overlaid on the image. Um, it was. It was actually. If it was me, I probably would have. If it were up to me, I probably would have left it like that. Yeah. Because, in my world, I. This is just a personal thing, but I tend to prefer predictability and reliability and stability over, um, you know, what I would call bells and whistles, or someone else would call polish. Yeah. Uh, so, so I personally would have left it right there because it was, it, it was incredibly fast. Yeah.
1: This. That, um, that tendency probably explains our love for the command line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, I know. It's just my personality. I yeah, know that most yeah, I'm, people I'm
1: the same way. Yeah.
0: So, you know, and of course people, people you know, they want it to be super, <laughs> super shiny new. If they're going to go to all this effort, they want it to be like top-notch experience. And, and people, are you know, evidently have come to expect that at least sliding animation when going from left to right.
1: Yeah, and you know you can't blame them for wanting that. I think most people would want that.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't, yeah. I, I certainly didn't fight about it.
1: Uh, yeah, as a as a visual feedback for the type of interaction that you're performing, it makes total sense.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. So the next step uh, was to to provide sliding animation. So and this is where I really had to be specific in my, you know, because I'm like typing up emails every time I do a release. I had to explain what the jeez. Uh, I had to explain. What, <laughs> I, I think the uh, monster fact just came <laughs> over. Um, so you know, every time I would have a uh, a release, I'd have to explain what the new changes were. And I was like, oh wow, there. This is when this actually did. Uh, this was the first time this hit a conscious level for me. That there was a difference between sticky finger and non-sticky finger swipe animations or sliding <laughs> animations. So uh, the next level up was that you could swipe and then when you you know on touch end when you remove your finger from the screen then a, the next page would slide in and the current page would slide out. So it yeah. didn't it didn't like follow your finger as you were you know if you like slowly moved your finger across the screen nothing would happen and then when you let right. go then the animation would happen. And this required this required two things. So at this point I had been preloading images only at this point, I needed to preload the next and previous pages completely so that there was something to show uh, as the new page came in. so prior to this, I you know you only ever could see one page at a time
1: mm-hmm.
0: so I could just use the HTML for that one page and update it every time. but now we have to create three pages at a time based on that same HTML so that you could potentially show a, any, a combination of any two at the same time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that that seems like a huge kind of leap in complexity right there. Just going to that, and I mean not even not even dealing with the, the finger follow yet.
0: Yes, the the as soon as you need to display essentially two pages at once, uh, it can nuke your code. So <laughs> yeah. you, for example, if you let, let's just give an example of a jQuery style thing. So many people are familiar with that. You are you set up your HTML template. You, you're going down this path that I'm describing, where you, you're building it in stable releases, where you know it works uh, it, at each you know level as you're adding functionality. And as soon as you go up to that point where you switch from showing one page at a time to showing two pages at a time for an instant, all of a sudden, if you've used IDs instead of class names on any of the key uh, HTML elements, you're you're borked because now you've got two of them. Yeah. So if you're using jQuery, let's say your image, let's say your, your page wrapper is, you know, page ID equals page wrapper. And as far as you were concerned, it was always going to be unique in the DOM.
1: Yeah, that's not the case anymore.
0: Not the case anymore. Uh, fortunately, I've been bitten by this in the past, so I didn't do that this time. But that is a, a typical type of issue. So you have to basically use class names everywhere because you never know how many pages you're going to have in the DOM at one time.
1: Yeah, that, that would have bitten me. <laughs> had, I, had I been doing it, I, I know for a fact that I, I wouldn't have thought of that and would have just jumped straight to using, using an ID because I'm like, well, okay, it's, it's only going to be the one element and it's, you know, it's, it's faster, it performs better.
0: Exactly, right. So instead of that, um, what you, know, you have to use class names. And to, to mitigate the performance issue, I do have a wrapper div that, uh, that compartmentalizes the piece of the DOM that I care about uh, mm-hmm. as much as possible. So you know, speaking in jQuery terms, which this does use jQuery, um, I I find that for I I grab that first with the regular jQuery selector, and then I find the elements inside of it that I'm looking for. Right. So it, it it narrows the DOM down to just the slice that I'm worried about.
1: Right. So all your all your DOM lookups are constrained within that that parent container, be it whichever whichever page you're looking for it in.
0: Exactly. So. Uh, Another, th- let's see. So then, then the next stage up from that was moving to the sticky finger swipe animation or the sticky finger sliding animation where as you moved your finger across the screen, the uh, the, the incoming page began to display before you raised your finger. So basically the animation starts on touch move.
1: Yeah, and follows your finger.
0: Right. And th- this actually was really easy to add. The, uh, the hard part, as you aptly noted. Uh, the hard part is showing two pages at once. Yeah. And once you do that, um, you're pretty much over the hurdle. And the the the, the sticky finger animations, um, the challenge there is just getting non-janky performance on the weaker devices. Uh, so look, for example, the Kindle Fire.
1: <laughs> that, a, that a that a highly technical term there?
0: Yeah, non-janky, non-janky performance. Yeah, non-janky performance for sticky finger slides. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a title in there somewhere somewhere um but yeah so the uh the issue there becomes really just one of optimizing for different different systems it's not really uh it's not really a logical uh, it's not a problem of like figuring out the code or whatever you, you just go in there and um i mean potentially we'll roll back to the non-sticky finger animation mm-hmm. for fire or we could even See the beauty of it is that it's the animation. um, What we're using there is uh, CSS transforms and transitions. Yeah. And if we and and we can use media queries to determine where we are, or we could use JavaScript or modernizer to determine um, level of support. Or you know, I'm not above user agent sniffing uh, at times, and we could just say, oh, we're in Kindle Fire. Don't use that animation. Give it a different uh, CSS class. And just make it fade, or um, or not animate at all, or go back to the non-sticky finger slide, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the really tricky part is is when you do have to show two pages at once when you thought you were only ever going to have to show one, and preloading those pages without uh, locking up the browser. So very so that I think that's probably. That's probably all there is to say about that, but it was, check out People.com on your mobile device and you'll see uh, the lovely designs of one Ethan Marcotte.
1: Yes, and, I'm, I'm interested in taking a look at it. I've been wanting to see it for a while. Mm. I'll, I'll check it out on my new Nexus 7.
0: <laughs> I know. I, I wish I had one I could test on that. I'm hoping that it's <laughs> going to be the same as the, the Jelly Bean experience on my Samsung phone. I would imagine it is. Yep, yep. So it is the, the code that I delivered this morning is really is really what I see as the, the final, uh, the final version. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure when it'll go live because they have this whole build process and QA and, you know, imagine QA. Wow. Yeah. So they, it, it takes a while for them to push changes through for certain things. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure when that will go live. There's currently a, a, a V1 up now that uh, is a sort of a, uh, least common denominator version that does work, but in the next, I would say in the next week or so, you should see a really, really polished sticky finger slide animation on the galleries.
1: <laughs> cool, cool. I'd definitely be interested in taking a look at taking a look at it both in in your your finished result and and digging into some of the code there as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's cool stuff. Uh, yeah, and that's the and I don't I don't feel bad discussing it because it is all view source. There it is.
1: Yeah, there it is.
0: Yep, it's uh, you know jQuery Modernizer. And uh, I think I wrote about I wrote about four hundred lines of custom JavaScript. It's really not that much. So
1: Yeah. Isn't, isn't it funny how you can spend so much time on something and, and the end result is just a by comparison to the amount of time, just a very few lines of code. And and I kinda it's funny because I feel like the, the shorter the code is, the better the, the end product ends up.
0: That's been my experience. You know, I, I probably wrote twenty thousand lines of code, but it <laughs> yeah. It refactored down to about four hundred.
1: Yeah. It's it's the it's the same way with doing some of the stuff uh, doing some of the stuff in Ruby. I mean, you know, you spend you start out with something that's you know, it's 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 not very dry and it's not very compact or efficient and, and then you know, you just pare down.
0: Mhm. Yeah, there's still there's still some fat in this too. I could refactor a couple of things. Yeah, make it a little bit more abstract, um, but at the same time, sometimes uh, you know, I'm not I'm not always anti dry because um, adding a lot of branching inside of a function or adding you know like deep nests of function calls, is, it's just can be really, really hard to debug.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'd rather, sometimes I'd rather repeat something in a couple of places. You know, if there's, you know, like if like you said, if you have something that's So you've got two functions that are very similar, but there's a minor difference. I mean, you could maybe abstract it out into a single function and save yourself some lines of code there and just handle things with conditionals and and different cases and and that sort of thing. But then it just, you know, debugging becomes an issue. And if you want to expand on the functionality of one of those elements later and and maybe not the other one, then, again, it becomes an issue.
0: Yep. Absolutely. I'll give you an example from this from this project. Um, when you are on the first page of a gallery, if you swipe to previous, it shouldn't go anywhere. And when you're on the last page of the gallery, when you swipe to next, it shouldn't go anywhere. Right. And, you you know, it sounds like you could handle that in the same function, right? Like, if, you know, if current page index is zero and swipe direction equals left to right, then don't do anything. Right. And vice versa, you know, if swipe direction is... is right to left and, you know, you're on the last page, then don't do anything. But as it turns out, um, that logic, and, and at first that's what I did. Right. So it's like, it's, it's, it's just like return out of the sliding function. If either of these things is true. Yeah. But then when you start caching the pages, all of a sudden, when you are, when you're on the first page, you need to do.
1: Yeah. There's, there's nothing there to
0: cache. Right. You, there's nothing to cache on the left-hand side, so to speak, and there is something to cache on the right-hand side, but then you need to, and you need to, um, this is a little confusing, but if if the user came in on that first page, if they linked in directly to that first page, which is the most likely place for them to land, um, there's no left arrow in the HTML template to visually, you know, because there's no previous page to go to. Right. But since I'm, since I'm using that, each, whatever page they came in on becomes the HTML for the rest of the gallery, photo pages in the rest of the gallery. Hmm. So when I, I need to know that when I'm preloading the page to the right of the first page, I have to programmatically add a back arrow visually on the screen.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, so you, you need to know where you're at and where you come in at so you know which elements you need to draw.
0: Right, conversely, when if somebody came in on the last page of the gallery for some reason, um, I don't have the HTML that I need mm-hmm. for a photo page. I have a, it's a, basically a list view of links. Yeah. So to cache the previous page, I have to le- actually do an AJAX request to the real previous page, and pull all the HTML and cache that instead of cloning the HTML that I'm on.
1: Right, because the HTML that you have isn't isn't going to work.
0: Exactly. So. That's just and it spirals on and on from there. So like the the page caching has a big chunk of, of um, if has a of what am I trying to say? The page caching function has a a big chunk of um, stuff that applies to the caching the next page in a series, and a big chunk that's similar but but different enough that I kept them separate separate for caching the previous page. And you could, I could have, it was like an on the fence type of thing. It's one of those things I could have refactored and added some if then nesting, but it would have been, as soon as I go like, as soon as I I get like more than two levels deep in a like uh, logical, you know, conditional nesting, my skin starts to crawl. You know, if I can't see the entire block on the screen of my little tiny MacBook Air 11-inch, then I I basically can't stand it. So, (laughs) yeah. uh, Um,
1: I I have some Ruby code you may want to stay away from.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I cannot stand long blocks where you're scrolling down and you're trying to figure out, is this the closing brace for that or that?
1: Yeah, well, in, in my defense, most of most of my line length in some of the code I've been writing lately has been it, you know, it has been formatting mm-hmm. rather than you know rather than um, um logic. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's always it's personal style, and it just yeah. it, as long as it works, it works. But I do I do spend a lot of time thinking about uh, how easy something is going to be to debug. Yeah. Later. Yeah, I
1: I totally get what you're what you're saying there though. When when the logic gets too long, it gets it gets worrisome because if your if your logic on these things takes up you know that much that much space, you know, maybe it should be broken out into into separate functions.
0: Right. Right. Just so that, yeah. Or different blocks or that even even if they do have overlapping code, it's like, you know, if it's fundamentally different, if there are significant changes then uh I sometimes make the judgment call to just not consolidate them yeah the other thing I do on that topic is um, I do not use short variable names Um, and I I know that people I don't know I mean people generally especially in JavaScript since you're sending everything over the wire every time people sort of frown on that Um, but I I just I I can't do it I cannot yeah I,
1: I don't either you know, I'm I'm probably probably doing even less now than I did before I started working with you, because yeah. I've, I've picked up on your 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 name all things mm. tendency, but yeah, I like nice descriptive names.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially if you're, I mean, if, especially if you're working with other developers and you have to talk about the code, mm-hmm. you know, use, yeah, you yeah, I, I use the name that I'm gonna call it.
1: Yeah, it kind of kind of the code kind of ends up self-documenting itself that way.
0: Exactly, and it it really you know I I. It happened to me a few times on this project where I just I I, you know, refactored the code and the meaning changed. So I went and, and changed the variable names to match the new meaning, uh, which, like you said, is makes it self-documenting. You don't have to. I mean, I add a lot of comments too. You don't have to though, because you can read it. It says what it is.
1: Right. Um, yeah. I I once read read something that kind of really rang true with me about commenting code. It said when you're com- it said that when you're commenting code, your comment should be explaining why you're do why you're doing something, not what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you have to write a comment to explain what you're doing, then your code is not, not written well.
0: Mhm. Totally agree with that. I, yeah, I totally agree with that. So, it, I when I, I I am a liberal commenter, but like you said, I don't want to have to update the comments after I if I change the code. Yeah. So that's a great way to put it. I never really thought about it like that. But I just mentally I just try and I try and put myself, you know, I'm like I'm like leaving bread, leaving breadcrumbs for myself. Yeah. So like I can get back into the mindset that I'm currently in. You know, like yeah. if especially when I write something that's that really needs to be opaque
1: mm-hmm.
0: for some reason. It needs to be abstracted. Um, I'll I'll write a long note to myself about why I did it like that.
1: Yeah, so your your comments should discuss why you made the decisions you you're you're making in the code, not the specifics of, of what you're doing.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's good advice. So fun. people.com mobile site is currently live. You can check that out. people.com or uh, you know, but it is going to get uh, uh, a bit of an upgrade in the next week or so. So stay cool. tuned. Cool. So, wow. So, I think what I'd like to talk about next mm-hmm. is, is a little less webby. So, we've been, you know, the, the niche premise is building apps that run everywhere, and that does not mean just web apps uh, or websites. Uh, and we have been, um, for the past few weeks, we've been working really intensely on web projects, so our, our topics have been very much centered on that. Yeah, you know JavaScript running in a browser and uh, REST APIs. Yeah, and I kind of want to shift gears a little bit, um, and this, this is going to be pretty high level, but I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about um, BDConf. Yeah, kind of... I was
1: gonna I was gonna mention that because I, I saw you had a talk coming up on that. It looked really interesting.
0: Yeah, so so BDComp is. Uh, going to be in Dallas, I think it's in September, uh, I'll link to it in the show notes, and there are just like a, a ton of, of really interesting speakers um, that are going to be there, and for, I was fortunate enough to be selected to be one of them, and uh, and I want to get, you know, so it's going to be a crowd of basically web developers and web designers, mm-hmm. if I understand correctly, and, uh, and I wanted to give a talk that was it was very much in the sort of niche realm of things. So, um, uh, you know, not web-specific, but like more future-friendly, like what's the, f- what, what's the future gonna look like? So the, the name of the talk is, the Revolution Will Not Be Televised, Managing Content and Experience in the Age of Ubiquitous Computing. And what I wanna talk about uh, in that session is that uh, it's pretty much predicated on the note, the confusion between mobile computing versus wireless computing. Yeah. or wireless technology. People use those words interchangeably, mobile and wireless. But really, mobile is just one application of wireless technology, and it's really not that, it's really not that impressive when you think about it. Um, there are a ton of other things you could do with wireless technology, and, uh, and in, in my abstract, I say the iPhone, which is probably the most advanced piece of consumer ever, uh, electronics at, that exists in the world. Uh, it, it's going to look like a fax machine, In a few years (laughs) you know it's just it's it's there's all sorts of limitations of an iPhone let's say it's you know it's rigid it doesn't change size you can't wrap it around stuff it can break you can't use it underwater you can't use it when your hands are wet or when you have gloves on there are a million things wrong with it yeah and all of those things are uh, there will be I promise you that you know it's just a question of time of course but I promise you that there will be uh, devices, or I hesitate to go too crazy and say organisms, but let's say devices that will be created that address those use cases. There will be no piece of our life that is disconnected if we want it that way.
1: Yeah. Dude, what about that retina implant?
0: Yeah it's, it's not <laughs> i mean
1: you're, you're transmitting to the brain Why can't you transmit other places too?
0: <laughs> yeah like i mean the, the cochlear implants are pretty impressive yeah so imagine imagine you know if you don't know uh, i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly i think yeah it's i think so yeah cochlear implant it's like uh it's like i actually saw a little kid in, in the airport recently that had had them one on each side and it's basically uh Affixed to your skull, and there is, you know, sort of behind the ear. it Looks like a, a the one I saw was like a about it the size like of a, a hearing aid. Uh, well, it was behind his ear, though, like yeah. like on his skull, yeah, and and attached like a doorknob, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's held on with magnets, I think.
0: Oh, is that really? Yeah, the
1: magnets implanted under the skin.
0: Oh, I I had just wrongly apparently assumed that it it was there was a, a hole there, which I really wondered how they managed that, but. Um, So that makes more sense. That's actually awesome. That's a great idea.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Cool. So, I mean, you know, I was like, that's a sweet pair of headphones you got there, kid. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, so it looks like a little, it looks like a poker chip, like a black poker chip. And it's just sort of like sticking to your head. And then there's, you know, an actual implant inside the head that, you know, has a basically a wire that goes into your oral nerve um, that allows you to you can't hear. apparent, you know, evidently, you can't hear sound the way that that people with typical hearing hear sound. But yeah, actually,
1: it's gotten really good. I found a, I found an example of it a while back, and I'll try and find it, link to it, so we can mm. link to it in the show notes of the the evolution of the quality of the cochlear implant over the years. Mm.
0: So so imagine that that right now the hearing is maybe not as good as standard human hearing, but eventually the technology will get small and cheap enough enough small enough and cheap enough, that it is on par with regular hearing, and then imagine if the technology gets even cheaper and smaller, it gets better than human it's hearing. It gets better. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
1: they're they're just now starting to get into this uh, you know, as, in terms of vision too, and um, which is really great because for lo- the longest time, if you've had retina damage, there's, there's all kinds of things they can do for the eye, but if you've had retina damage, you're pretty much screwed. Mm. So, you know, I mean, they're they're just starting to make advances in that area too, and eventually, you know, there's a there is a huge range of the of the the light spectrum that our eyes can't perceive.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, what if you could just tune your eye to see ultraviolet in certain circumstances? I have no reason to believe that that's not going to happen. Yeah, you know, it's just so, a matter of time. Right. It's a question of time, and cost, really, and and. You know, so those are, and now, now imagine, right? So that's just like personal wearable technology or like cyborg type stuff. Imagine that that stuff's all connected and you could actually like jack into somebody else's eyes. Like that's, like, that could, I, I don't see why that can't happen, you know? I mean,
1: it's. I mean, it sounds totally sci-fi, but then again, when you stop and really think about it, it's just the, data. The technology is gonna be there at some point. Yeah.
0: Right? Like like you know, Google Glass, right? That's like yeah. a it's gonna look like a ham fisted approach to exactly this. Like a Google Glass is an external uh, it gives you the external ability to to jack into somebody's visual stream. You know, it's not implanted in their eye, but it's the same thing. Right? I mean it connects to your phone, you can, it can broadcast to the internet. And, yeah. you know once the bandwidth and once the technology is squared away all the pieces exist all the pieces are in place you yeah oh can it
1: can it broadcast
0: through I, can it right now I don't know
1: I mean I mean but yeah like I didn't I didn't think it currently in the state it's at now I didn't think it was broadcasting I thought it was just receiving and, and overlaying displayed information but I mean yeah there's no reason. No reason it couldn't broadcast, I guess. It's just a matter of adding the functionality the technology is certainly there.
0: No, it can broadcast it. it can broadcast at Google I.O. Oh, they yeah. they did uh they had a bunch of guys jump out of a helicopter over the Moscone Center wearing the glasses and you could see what they saw as they oh, were. Oh cool. Yeah. Cool. The, yeah, I I
1: didn't see that. So
0: Yeah, I mean it might have been jury rigged or something, but it's gonna happen, you know. Right. So so right.
1: whether it actually does it yet or not, that's that's what they plan to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, there's all sorts of questions like, how are they going to power it? How's it going to be small enough and, and yeah. powerful enough and also have these radio broadcasts? How's it going to connect? But uh, you know, this, these problems will get solved. So it becomes, you know, for, you can get into all of the the moral and political ramifications of being able to, to hack into somebody's stream of vision. senses. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and that's one thing. And then there's the whole, you know, yeah, it, it, well, I'll get to that in a second, but the, the point of the talk is to talk to developers and designers who today are thinking, are, you know, are thinking their minds are like totally expanded now that we're thinking in terms of responsive web design and, you know, programming for, for who knows what kind of input, whether it's touch, mouse, keyboard, voice. And and that stuff's going to be like a joke compared to I don't I don't know how far out I'm like a little reluctant to predict how far out it is for something like some of these things, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's it's well within you know our natural lifespan and it probably I mean I wouldn't be surprised in the least if I could broadcast what I'm seeing within the next three years. Yeah, I I don't I I would be shocked if that wasn't possible.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm hoping. I'm really interested in seeing where the where this goes,
0: mm.
1: because I, I personally would love a retina display retina,
0: but it's just... <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so the concept of the talk is to say okay, so if this if this is the kind of insanely exponentially uh, exploding technology environment that we're in, and and mobile phones, smartphones as we know them today are just one application of, of this wireless groundswell, this wireless wave that's going to yeah. just take over everything. What can we do now to prepare for, um, you know, build applications or build infrastructure that isn't going to get thrown out in three years? Right. And I think there I think there are some, I, I'm going to make a case for uh, several things that will be familiar to uh, our dear listener. Um, you know, building APIs, very lean, small pieces of data going back and forth. Um, it's agnostic of output, not polluting your content with layout instructions. You know, creating content in chunks. Um, it, all these sorts of things, but eventually, it's going to be disconnected from, or it's going to need to be accessible in uh, just a, it's just a, an explosion of different client. Um, cl- I, I almost hesitate to use the word clients, but the front end to these applications that live in the cloud. Is going to be as wildly divergent as the human imagination.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's eventually going to be going to need to be able to access it in ways that aren't, probably that aren't HTTP.
0: But yeah, that's that is interesting to me. Drink the <laughs> the one of the sort of pillars of of at least right now for me in a development environment. Whether it's whether we're building something that's going to work over SMS or uh, IM or or you know, in a web browser or whatever or native application, HTTP is is in common with all of them. Yeah. And I do wonder at what point that is going to be unsustainable, and, and I think it will be unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, how do we? I don't know. If, I, I don't know how to prepare for whatever the next thing is. Maybe it's Google's speedy protocol or maybe it's something completely different. Maybe it's a binary protocol. Um, But to imagine moving from what will be a legacy architecture of HTTP, how are we going to move from that to a new protocol that's more suitable or leaner or faster, has less latency um, than HTTP? And and how how will we make that? What will it be? And how will we make that transition from where we are to, to there?
1: Yeah, yeah. And for a long time, like HTTP has been around for a long time, and regardless of whether whatever comes out to replace it, it, I feel like it's going to continue to be around for a very long time. And so there, there will be a period there where you'll need to support both, and it would be nice to be able to support both on the with the same underlying infrastructure.
0: Mm, yeah, that would be nice. So I do think I do think that there are some things that are going to be long term are going to be. Uh, you know that this future will depend on one is some kind of ubiquitous connecti- connectivity, whether it's three G, four G, Zigbee, whatever, some wide area broadcast communication uh, uh, connection, um, and that's you know we we see that coming, and I it, presumably it's just going to continue to get better. Then we need a protocol to, to speak across it. Uh, we're going to need cloud computing cloud infrastructure because the devices that are uh, that we're wearing are are integrated into our clothes are implanted in our bodies they're gonna have you know need to have very very gonna need to be small that means low power that means um, uh, both from a CPU standpoint and from a power consumption standpoint uh, so we need uh, so we're gonna need to do all the heavy lifting in the cloud so I, I think that it's safe to assume that we're gonna have we're gonna see more cloud computing we're gonna see more uh, wireless connectivity, I don't know what kind, and we're going to see, you know, a, a dependence on some standard protocol, probably not HTTP, but something. And you can buckle your seatbelt because it's going to get weird.
1: Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's going to be really interesting to see where to just just be able to, to look back in 20 or 30 years.
0: Mm. I mean, I've been, I, I'm going to link to these videos in the show notes. I've been doing research try and kind of broaden my, broaden my thinking as much as possible before I write the slides. You know, I've got my particular agenda and an outline, but I want to find supporting materials that I can reference for people. And I came across a few things, uh, a couple TED Talks and a couple other videos that I'll, I'll post in the show notes. Um, but this one guy, his name is Juan Enriquez, who. I mean, his TED talk is entitled uh, "Will Our Kids Be a Different Species," <laughs> and and he's not kidding. Like he means that in the literal sense. Yeah. Uh, there's another one by Amber Case called "We Are All Cyborgs Now," and and in in the literal sense, if you have a smartphone, you have augmented your consciousness by tapping into like the sum total of human knowledge. Yeah it's almost for free and almost instantly
1: yeah I, I read an interesting statistic yesterday it was a I was a tweet from World Bank uh, I don't know if you saw it or not no something about um, I think it said 75% of the the population now have smartphones
0: oh I did see I didn't see it yeah tweet, and, but I did and like that. a
1: a large percentage of that I can't remember what it was like 40 or 60 or something big like that but anyway most of them are in are in developing countries mm
0: yeah, I I was I was recently talking to a uh, extremely large, uh, the owner of an extremely large popular website, who said that forty percent of their traffic is from Android, which which shocked me. Yeah, um, I those numbers as recently as a year ago, it was heavily iOS iPhone and iPad and iPod Touch is actually a very popular browsing device. Um, I was, I mean I shouldn't be surprised because I know that Android is, is dominating the market. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like making inroads all over the world. Um, but I still, I was pretty surprised, Yeah, you know, so in, in Android demographically, Android is the low cost alternative to the iPhone. Uh, I mean, there are other reasons to want an Android device versus an iPhone or iOS device, but, uh, but certainly cost is a big one. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be, that's going to be the new dumb phone, basically. You know, all of it, that's that's the phone. That actually reminds me. Speaking of Android, remember last week we were talking about um, accessibility op- options for Android. Mm-hmm. So I investigated that a little bit, and there are um, there are a number of accessibility features that are very similar to VoiceOver on iOS. Uh, I. Let's see. You know, on Android, this is Jellybean then I'm looking back. There's a system yeah. called Talkback mm-hmm. that uh, gives you. You know, it, the phone talks to you as you do things. So you shut off the screen. It says "Screen off." Uh, it gives yeah. you the current time or whatever. And you, you. Could, I don't know how anyone could possibly use this. Uh, you obviously can speak to that better than I can. Um, it it tells you what you're doing as you're doing it, but it doesn't it doesn't tell you where things are. Like you, I don't know. How do you get familiar with um with something like that, like voiceover.
1: Yeah, it I actually used it for a while with um well first of all let me me preface this by saying I've never used it when I've been totally blind. There was there was one point a few years ago where I was I was completely blind for a period of about forty eight hours and i was i was too busy freaking out to really care about using a computer at that point <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> but i have i have had instances where my vision has been you know bad enough that i have used uh used voiceover both on on the mac and then more more i did it more in ios just kind of as an experiment mm-hmm. and um it's hard <laughs> yeah. but i i certainly think that with enough practice you would you would just get used to it um it would be would be really nice on on the iPad to if there were some way of being able to provide some kind of tactile feedback such as and like maybe a maybe a vibration when you when you touch, you know, over an icon or, or something. Right. But I found I found a lot of a lot of how I was using voiceover on, on iOS was you do a uh, a lot of sliding your finger across the screen, and it tells you things as you slide over them, and then you you know, you, you double tap. So it completely changes the touch
0: interactions. Yeah, see, that's what I was hoping for on on the. Uh, that's what I was expecting on the Android phone. And I yeah, don't know if I did you'd it think wrong. if it
1: doesn't do that, how does it work? You know, how, right? It, there's, I, I can't see how else it would function.
0: Yeah, like how do you look around? Yeah, you know, with your finger, and maybe I didn't maybe I didn't try it right, but. Uh, um, it's, it, the, but the, the moral of the story is that there are, what, I don't know how good they are, but there are a, a rich set of accessibility options on the Android um, that, uh, that are probably worth looking into just for, uh, I mean, even if you don't need them, just for curiosity's sake, it's, yeah. uh, it's interesting to imagine because it creates, using the same device, it creates a new interface into the OS
1: yeah it's a it's a completely different experience.
0: yeah, yeah, but same device, completely different experience. and it really takes you out of your normal um, mode of thinking, or at least for me as a web developer and a front-end yeah. developer, it takes me out of my normal mode of thinking and be like, Wow, imagine that yeah, because there will be interfaces that we build, and uh, I feel like in the relatively near future, that won't have a visual interface. You know we'll either use use touchless gestures. Um, or, I mean, I know people are going to go, Stark, you're crazy, but, you know, there are currently toys that you can buy on Amazon that do read your brainwaves, and it is conceivable, I don't think this is going to happen in the near future at all, but uh, it is conceivable that that could be an input method.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think at the moment all it does is is measure levels of electrical current,
0: Yeah, but it's super dumb, but... Yeah,
1: yeah, but, but still, they're they're there and they're being read. I mean, you know, and we're also getting into the land of prosthetics that, you know, you can people, you know, robotic prosthetics that people can control with their mind. And that's that's very much a real thing at this point.
0: Right. Yeah, and, and people are getting paid to work on them. So it's not like it's just like somebody working in their garage, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if... You know, yeah, there's like money here, and yeah. and that is gonna just continue to get better.
1: Yeah, and I've I've actually I don't know if you saw the video a while back um, about the car for the blind that actually uses a series of of tactile feedback to to sort of provide information about the environment.
0: Mm. I hadn't seen that, but I know that yeah. you know I've been following the the Google driverless car.
1: Yeah, this was. This was a a car for the blind that the you know it meant to be one that a blind person could actually drive and which is is kind of terrifying to think about but but both both as a blind person and as as someone who travels on a road but at the, <laughs> at the same time you know, when they're they're talking about you know dozens and dozens of different points of tactile feedback to provide you with, with information about your surroundings and doing it, you know, through, through vibration or air or things like that, you know, you're, you're really, if you get enough of that sensation coming at you, you're really not creating a diminished experience. It's just a different experience.
0: It could be better in certain ways.
1: In certain ways. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, 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 it's an exciting time to be be you know working on this kind of stuff because the curve is going through the roof and uh, it, it, one of these one of these people sort of described it as um, that we're you know uh, I'll, I'll link to this too I think the guy's name is uh, is uh, Danny Hillis was his name and he talks about the stage that we're in as analogous to when amoebas figured out how to To team up to become an organism yeah and so we're kind of like right now we're kind of like going from the amoeba stage into the organism stage and if you can imagine you know the chances of an amoeba having any idea the come what's coming what's coming you know when an amoeba turns into an organism that then creates a government and has like democracy and voting and I mean like yeah (laughs) Can you imagine, there's no, point being, there's no freaking way we can imagine, you know, but I, I mean, I can't, it seems silly to think out more than like three years.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna eventually all be flying around in Borg ships.
0: I, you know, I, it, it's easy to, it's easy to delve into sci-fi in like, like, I can't even laugh at that, you know, it's.
1: Yeah, the idea of a collective consciousness doesn't seem that out there
0: right but then then what happens like the 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 social political religious implications of that are we're not ready like like I'm actually like researching this stuff I actually kind of freaked out you know yeah like I am which I suppose is good because I'm not young so like but I imagine like Cooper he's two right he's gonna he's it's beyond like, oh, he's, gonna, you know, he's never going to know how to use a laptop or he's not going to know how to tell time on an on a analog clock or whatever. Like, that's nothing. He's not going to know what it's like to, to, to not have people reading his thoughts in real time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's not going to know what it's like to not be broadcasting his, his sight <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, I don't know. Like I said, buckle your seatbelts. It's going to get weird
1: yeah I'm I'm actually kind of kind of sad that I'm not you know if I could if I could reset right now and start over because you know it's it's all going to start to get really cool about the time that we're getting really old
0: (laughs) yeah I I do I I think that it's inevitable that there'll be a certain point where I think I'm just about hitting that point where I'm old enough to be afraid of some of the change that I would have welcomed if I was 18. Yeah. And it, because it's real, like, I mean, when you talk about, talk about, you know, we all know the disruption that happened with the music industry. Uh, Napster and then iTunes kind of like, uh, you know, BitTorrent, and then, and then iTunes kind of like reinventing the way music sales worked and the, the crash of the newspaper industry and the potential effects on journalism, and, uh, and now the, the movie industry freaking out because yeah. people Table are- Yeah,
1: industry, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, all, all of this stuff that's going on, um, none of that bothered me. And, and it's partially, I think, well, mainly probably because I am a musician, and when the Napster thing happened and, and I got my first glimpse of the internet, it was like freedom. I yeah. finally had a way to distribute my music. You know, never mind getting paid. You know, I'll worry about getting paid for it. However, I'm already not getting paid for it. Yeah. I might as well at least have people hear it.
1: Might as well be broke and popular as opposed to just broke.
0: Right, right. But I'm getting to an age where I'm nervous about the the obvious next steps. So Amazon... Like,
1: you mean like, like the disruption in the heart transplant industry?
0: Ugh. <laughs> I, I was actually going to talk about um, the the destruction of the sort of newspaper industry effect as applied to bricks and mortar retail, which I think oh, yeah. is in for a major collapse. Yeah, I, that actually makes me nervous because I see one of two things happening. It'll either it'll either happen, and it's going to be a huge. It's going to have a huge effect on the workforce. There's going to be tons of. Tons of shift people. People hopefully getting retrained into jobs where you know they're delivering stuff for Amazon instead of standing in a Best Buy. Um, but the other, the flip side of that is the government. I could easily imagine the government stepping in and trying to prevent it, which, yeah. which, you know, I guess is a function of government. But um, sounds expensive to me, and I don't know. Like it makes me a little nervous.
1: Yeah, there's there's gonna be i mean i think we're already starting to see a political shift sort of maybe maybe not born out of advances in technology but uh i guess maybe made easier and facilitated by it mm-hmm. in terms of of public attitude and and public response and so i feel like there's there's definitely going to be a political shift that's, that's going to happen Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a it's a little frightening to think about where that may go.
0: Yeah, totally. So and that's just, I feel like that's kind of near term. And then when you mm-hmm. start looking at things like advances in robotics and, you know, in like biological engineering and the combination of the two, like self-organizing flying drone robots. Like, come on, if that doesn't scare <laughs> you. You're not paying attention.
1: Yeah. Like like Wally becomes a, a movie of, of prophecy. You know?
0: Yeah, and in, in Minority Report. It's like I mean, that movie is constantly referenced as 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 a almost inevitable future. Yeah. You know, but like real technical people were consulted on that film. Like the stuff that went into that film was in nascent stages when it was created, probably was it the nineties? I don't know when that came out, but Yeah, I don't know. But that's that I mean the book is even older, but the 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 stuff that was portrayed in the film was more than just like some idea in Hollywood. That was like stuff that was being worked on. So like those little crawling things that invade the hotel looking for the apartment building, looking for Tom Cruise when his eyes were removed. (laughs) Yeah. Like that, that's happening, you know? So that's, that's the stuff like it crosses the technology does cross over to a point where even I, who am a complete techno utopian, Optimist, it's some of this stuff scares the crap out of me,
1: yeah, yeah, it um I don't know I mean i I couldn't even handle your 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 voice recording from earlier, so no.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know that hopefully no distortion this week, people. There was a video that I'll link to of a robot called Big Dog mm-hmm. that is the scariest thing I've ever seen like i don't know i don't know how we got into like scary territory but (laughs) i guess i'm just trying to emphasize like how radical the change is going to be so radical that even me who's someone who's been pushing for it is freaked out yeah the the this robot is like it's like the size of a large dog and it looks like a headless large dog and it walks exactly like a large dog and the the guy who's driving it i guess it looks kind of like uh, in *Empire Strikes Back*. What were the the walkers?
1: The the walkers, yeah.
0: Yeah, but about the size of a Great Dane, and it can. I mean, you just have to watch the video. It's and if you're familiar with the term "Uncanny Valley," um, it's it almost crosses over from looking so it's so closely mimics the behavior of a of a you know like a dog walking that. I think the reason it freaked me out is because I almost felt empathy for it because it looked so live and to imagine it like, like at one point in the video, the, the guy who's, who's, who I guess created it, I don't know who the guy was, but there's a guy in the video and he kicks it really hard with his foot to try and knock it over.
1: And you felt bad for it? I felt
0: bad for it. Like, like that scared the crap out of me that I felt bad for it.
1: That you got a remos- an emotional response. Yeah.
0: To, to essentially. A, machine, yeah. Right. Like if I saw a car, you know, get you know a parked car. Get like a, kicked. Get it wouldn't, but wouldn't, wouldn't upset you. It wouldn't upset me. I'd be like, God, what a jerk you are for kicking that somebody's car, <laughs> and this is really no difference. It's not yeah. like a sentient being, but it's I. But I. There's no doubt. I. It was. It was weird. I'll, yeah. I'll link to it. You can see for yourself. But. <laughs> It's, uh,
1: this is this is our Blade Runner episode.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what I thought. I was like, I was like, at what point? These are questions that have been asked since the 50s or 60s, or maybe even earlier. Probably even earlier. Nikolai Tesla probably has a patent for this, but <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. It's, it's just. I and mean, we've all been talking about if you're old, if you, if you're a person of a certain age, um, you know, we all thought flying cars were going to be here back when we were watching the Jetsons. Like, Space 1999 was, it sounded like the far future, and it was reasonable to have a moon colony. Yeah. You know? And and so it seems like forever we've been saying, oh, you know, we're going to have jetpacks and yada, yada, yada. But now it seems like it's going to happen. Like, before it was kind of like, it will happen someday, but now I feel like someone's going to announce, yeah. announce it.
1: Like, all all of these things were, were a dream before, and, I mean, they still are, they haven't. Haven't quite come to fruition just yet, but the technology is advancing to the point where these things seem seem really possible, and not just an, you know an, an imagined a future type
0: of thing. Right. Yeah. So wow. Very interesting. So so all you web designers and web developers, get your, do what you can, <laughs> do what you can to uh, abstract your tools and uh, and development practices because. There's just no telling what we're gonna be developing for in the next couple of years. Yeah. We'll be programming a giant walking dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Bionic retinas. Yeah. Yep. Alright, so we're going way, way over time this time <laughs> around. Hopefully the hopefully I can uh trim some, some fat out of here. Yeah,
1: yeah. And maybe maybe add in some toilet zone music or something.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That would be funny, we should put sound effects in.
1: Yeah. Jets in the cars zooming around.
0: Right. Rosie the robot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Spaceley Was it spacely pockets and Cogsville Cogs?
0: Nice. Good memory. Spacely. <laughs> All right, so I guess that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Kelly Shaver.
0: And we hope to have you again next week for the next podcast. See ya.